0: Get ready to listen, learn, and earn CE hours. This podcast features content from an accredited CE activity provided by Calibri Healthcare. Visit EliteLearning.com podcasts for accreditation and disclosure statements and instructions on how you may be able to earn CE credits.
1: You can accept your patients into your office, but if you're not affirming them, by honoring their chosen name and pronoun and having all gendered bathrooms and, and, and having them see themselves on the walls of your practice, then you're not a phone.
0: Hello, and welcome to the program. My name is Dr. Vanessa Pomerico, and I'm a family nurse practitioner and lead clinician for diversity, equity, and inclusion for the Northeast Medical Group in Connecticut, New York, and Rhode Island. I'm also faculty for Fitzgerald Health Education Associates and courtesy faculty for Quinnipiac University. I am so delighted to introduce my guest, Tony Firiolo. Welcome, Tony. Tell us about yourself. Hi. Well,
1: Vanessa, first of all, thanks for having me. Uh, Super excited to be here. So My name is Tony Firiolo. I'm a certified life coach. I'm a certified teacher of mindfulness. I've been working with transgender youth and non-binary youth for 16 years. I'm running support groups and just individual coaching. Oh, and I'm also a trans guy who transitioned in 2005.
0: Thank you. I'm so excited that we get to work together again. So I've got a few questions for you, Tony. Um, You know, you're known nationally for the work that you do, and and clearly you're very passionate about what you do. Um, You've been interviewed extensively. You've published articles. And there's even a documentary on your life called The Self-Made Man. Um, I actually had the honor of attending the premiere when that came out. So tell our audience a little bit about how and why you first got started
1: doing the work that you do. Oh yeah, sure. So, you know, my childhood and my teen years and my young adult years, the journey wasn't easy. It was pretty dark. Um, I didn't understand who I was. Uh, There was no word for trans back in 19, (coughs) you know? Um, And I was suicidal almost every day, uh, wondering if I wanted to live the next day. That was really my daily decision. Um, until about 2000, end of 2014, uh, 2004, a friend of mine came over with a documentary called Gender Knots, and it showed two, two trans guys walking on a beach. One guy unbuttoned his shirt and says, look, I had my top surgery. And I remember sitting back saying, oh, my God, I'm trans. I'm trans. What am I going to do now? If I wasn't happy as a lesbian, because that's how I identified prior to um, coming out as trans, I wasn't happy. How can I be happy? There was never happy trans people. I didn't know of anyone who was trans. So I went down to a beach to kill myself. Simple as that. And I remember I didn't want to die, but I could not imagine living a life of pain anymore. I was angry. I was filled with sadness and fear. So something happens, which is really, I I can't explain what it was, but a voice inside of me said, stop, create yourself, create yourself. And I said, wow, I have the power to be who I want to be. And how was I going to do that? So I kind of had step by step things. The, the, the barrier for me in 2004 was that nobody was working with trans people. I called our local pride center here in New Haven. They, they had no, they didn't even call me back. It was like, a, like, whoa, we don't know. We didn't call them back. I actually had to get on a train and go to New York to the pride center there in the village and talk to somebody. So I was um, fortunate enough to have money in a bank from a car accident that allowed me to get my top surgery when I needed it. And I remember after the surgery, um, when they took the bandages off, the surgeon said to me, you know, go ahead, go look in the mirror to see yourself. And I was like, you know, I didn't know what I, if, if what I saw was going to be enough or if it was going to scare me. I didn't know what I was going to see, but when I looked in the mirror and I saw my body For the first time, the way my mind thought it should be, my life totally changed. And I realized at that moment that there had to be kids in Connecticut that were trans and non binary. There had to be. And if I didn't know any trans people, then they certainly didn't know any trans people. So I started support groups in 2008. Um, Two kids showed up to the first one. We're still running strong, and we've served about 2,500 families. So that's how I started getting into the work. And I, I made a point at the beginning of this journey with these children is just to be the vehicle for their voice. That's why the two books, Artistic Expressions of Transgender Youth, it's their drawings, their voices, not mine. So that's how I started with the work. And I, I, I love my work every single day. You're absolutely
0: amazing, Tony. And and, and I'm so grateful that that our, our, our lives intersected because, you know, while you were looking for somebody in 2004, I took care of my very first trans patient in 2000. And I remember the patient coming into my office and I remember saying to them, I know how to take care of your body, but I don't know how to speak your language. Mm -hmm. And I remember calling every single person I knew in the medical community to say, I have a transgender patient and I don't know what to do with them. Can someone help me? Um, And it wasn't until I reached out to somebody in San Francisco who said, I know of somebody who's now at the the USCF uh, Trans Center for Excellence was I able to find somebody? But like you said, back then there wasn't anybody. And so it's great that we're able to kind of do the work that we're doing. And certainly the work that you're doing is so incredibly important. So, you know, as a clinician, I feel very strongly um, that all clinicians should be well-versed in caring for vulnerable populations, most specifically those who identify under the LGBTQA acronym. Um, as more of our patients and more people are starting to identify as non-binary and gender non-conforming, it really becomes increasingly important for clinicians to educate themselves on the appropriate care of this population. I'd like you to take a couple of minutes to kind of talk about your healthcare experiences, what it was like as a transgender man, you know, while you were transitioning. Um, and do you feel like your experience is different now that you have transitioned and, and maybe more people have been educated appropriately?
1: Well, I wish I can say yes. But first of all, I will say that the, the, the care that I got prior to coming out as trans and, and transitioning wasn't as difficult as it was after I transitioned. I was fortunate enough to have a kid in one of my groups say to me. Hey, listen, there is this woman in, in, in Connecticut that sees trans kids and trans people. And I said, what does she just see them or does she care for them? And he says, no, I'm going to go see her. She's a, she's a nurse practitioner. I said, excuse me, you're not going anywhere until I talk to her because that's how protective I was back then. And it just happened to be you. <laughs> Remember that? So, you. <laughs> so I, I was trying to impress her and I was like, more tie, and I was like, I want her to know that I'm serious about this and ended up me saying, oh my God, this woman, not only is she intelligent when it comes to healthcare, but her her passion and her heart was so big for this community that I ended up asking you to be my provider. So um, Vanessa is my provider. Thank you. And, and, and since then, Vanessa has saved me on several occasions. Uh, You know, I just wanted to tell that kidney cancer story because I think that's super important. Um, And it's, it's kind of hard to say, tell, but if I'm going to tell any story about, um when healthcare isn't caring this is the one that I want to share so um i believe it was in 2013 i got this little pop of a pain in my lower abdominal do- abdominal area and i called Vanessa and she said um i think you- i think you have diverticulitis it sounds like diverticulitis a bunch of other you know symptoms she says go for a cat scan i was like no she was go and when Vanessa tells you to go then you just go there's no other yeah there's no argument so i did have diverticulitis but they found a mass in my left kidney and Vanessa says, they think it's an abscess, just so three rounds, two rounds of antibiotics, it didn't go away. So Vanessa found um, a urologist that would see me. And I remember back then, the language was, Are they trans friendly? That's what we had to ask. We had to ask that question. So Vanessa says, Yep, I told her about you and she'll see you. I said, Awesome. So I go into this appointment and um, she comes in the room and she says, uh, Well, hi, hi there, Mr. Feriola. And for some reason, this is this is the scary part of being trans. Does she really know I'm trans? Does she need, need to know I'm trans? How about if she doesn't and she has to look at my body? My body's not going to match what she thinks I have by looking at me. So I said to her, uh, Vanessa told you who I am, right? And she said, yeah, good job. And she fist bumped me, which I thought was really odd. I'm a patient. I have something wrong with my kidney. Why are you fist bumping me? And she said, um, yeah, good job. She says, so tell me, how do you have sex? And I said to her, oh, wait a minute. You don't know who I am. You don't know who I am because that's a curiosity question. All right. It's a curiosity question. If you want to ask me a question, you ask me if I'm sexually active. and I don't know why you would ask me that. So she said, uh, no, really, how do you have sex? And when she said that, she seemed a little aggressive. Now, I know that there's people on, on watching this that are probably saying, you know, I would never treat a patient like that. The playing field is not even when you walk into a provider's office and you're sitting on a table half naked. It's not, it's not even maybe if you got half naked, it'd be a little bit more even, but it's not even. So I said to her, well, I perform sexually as a man. And she was like, "Well, how the hell can you do that? And I said to her, there's things you can buy. And she says, oh, good. Now I know what to tell my husband when his stops working. Now you would have thought that I would have jumped off that table, put my pants back on and and left, but I didn't, I was scared. So she said, I need to do an internal exam. And I was like, no, 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 please, please no, please no. Because as soon as she said internal exam and after what she, how she treated me already, I was going into a fight or flight situation and my whole body was shaken and my voice was shaken. And she says to me, oh, don't worry about it. It's going to look like an old lady's anyways, because there's no estrogen in your body. Now you would think that I would have gotten up and left. I didn't, I got on the table and she started examining me. I was crying. I had my hands over my face and she said, oh, I thought you'd be much more enlarged than what you are. And I said, end it. I'm not you know, talking about my you're critiquing my genitalia. Are you kidding me? She stopped it. She stopped the um, exam. She says, get dressed and meet me out by the computers. I did. There was another doctor sitting there. I said to myself, oh, my God, I'm screwed. And he says, hey, listen, Tone. we think you have stage one cancer. You're a young guy. You're going to survive this. He says, we need to go do some tests, you know, next few days. I'll get in touch with you. And he walked away. She turns around and says to me, so you want a penis because we do that here. And I said, listen, I'm the, I'm the co-founder of the Jim Collins Foundation. We fund surgeries. There is no way that you're, do, you're, you're doing that here. And if you're doing it here, you're not doing it well because nobody knows about it. I walked out of that hospital and I leaned. I never tell where the hospital is, but it was on Chapel Street in New Haven. And I never say the name of the hospital. And I'm leaning against the hospital. And I'm crying. And it's not because I had stage one cancer. It was because of the way I was talked to. And I'm going to tell you something right now that most people that were in my position that were talked to never would have went back and it was cancer and they would have died. All right. So I called Vanessa and I said, Vanessa, you, I have, to, I left a message on her phone and I told her everything that that happened. And I just happened to be shopping for food when she called back and she said, what, she said, what's So loud, my cell phone flew out of my hand. <laughs> okay. But here was, here, here's the truth about the matter. I had to get surgery. I was afraid that she was going to find me. Because for some reason, I believe she was calling Vanessa asking her, why isn't he my patient anymore? She said, there was something wrong with this, with, with this provider. I had, some, I had my best friend Drew and my brother Nick sleep in my room for the five days I had to be in the hospital because I was afraid she was going to find me and hurt me. So Vanessa schooled her. But then Vanessa and I coined the phrase trans-educated. Because it doesn't matter. Just like there's a big difference between acceptance and affirming, you can accept your patients into your office. But if you're not affirming them by honoring their chosen name and pronoun and having all-gendered bathrooms and, and, and having them see themselves on the walls of your practice, then you're not affirming them. So that really, I have to say of everything that happened to me um, was really emotionally damaging, and believe it or not, till this day, I still think about what happened to me. It, it you know, words can either break somebody or make somebody. Her r- words really broke me. That's the story.
0: So you really overcame a lot. I remember that was an incredibly difficult experience for you, but I do remember seeing you in the hospital and I remember you saying to me, I'm going to make this a teachable moment, not now, but at some point a teachable moment. So, you know, you you took a a bad experience Mm. and you really turned it into something that really is hopefully will teach other clinicians on that note. In your opinion, what actions can clinicians take in order to deliver respectful, affirming, and competent care to non-binary, gender non-conforming, transgender patients? We all know that people have a lot of opinions, and they may or may not provide the care that all of our patients deserve, but most especially to our non-binary and gender non-conforming patients. Do you feel like health systems should have certain policies in place for employees, um, such as the provider that you went to who practice cultural competency?
1: Yeah. uh, No, listen, absolutely. We're at our most vulnerable when we're sick. Listen, and not only did did she talk to me about that, they misdiagnosed me. I only had five years to live. You remember that? I I go through all that for like a week and a half thinking I was going to die. Okay. But if, 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 if you have a policy that every employee, every employee has to follow, and let's talk about language, right? You, you can't, if you're, if you're not non, listen, I'm, I'm trans, but I'm binary. I'm not non-binary. I'm binary. I identify as a guy. A non-binary person will identify as male, female, something else, both or neither. Don't be a provider who's trying to figure out what that feels like physically. You're never going to do it. Just respect the fact that people are non-binary. You never, you should never say to a patient, oh, so did you get the surgeries? Are you thinking of a surgery? Are you thinking, you never want to say, are you thinking of going on hormones or or having surgeries? If you say it that way, the patient might feel like, oh my God, if I say no, are they going to judge me? The question you ask is, so what does your gender journey look like? You know, what, what do you feel you need for a healthy, to be healthy and happy? And you say it with a smile. When you say it in a smile, you don't feel like you're judging them. All right. And again, the name and pronoun is a big deal and you will lose the patient emotionally, if they check in at that front desk and they're misgendered or mispronounced, It's just going to happen. And Vanessa, I know Vanessa and I train together and that's the biggest point, right? Is to make everybody feel comfortable. How do you feel comfortable in a space where right off the bat, they're not honoring you? How do you feel comfortable in a space where there's only men and women's bathrooms and you're not either, right? You have to pick a gender just because, you know, your office is telling them, listen, you're, you can't be non-binary. You have to be binary when it comes to using our bathrooms. So really check it out. Check it out. And most healthcare facilities and offices have single use bathrooms. And the only thing they have to do is slap a sign on there that says all gender. It doesn't cost a lot of money. Five, five dollars, six dollars at most. Exactly. They don't have to rehab an entire bathroom. Yeah.
0: So, so I I I, I want to just talk a little bit more about some of the dangers that healthcare providers can put our transgender patients at risk when they're not de- really delivering respectful and competent care. And you mentioned about pronouns and we should be asking all of our patients, their pronouns, not just the ones that we think yeah. might be non-binary or,
1: you know, gender non-conforming. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. And what people, what people, and I train that all the time too. And typically I get, well, how I work at the VA. And their 80-year-old guy, well, well, you, first of all, number one, you don't know if that 80-year-old has never been asked that question. You don't know if that 80-year-old is somebody who's trans or non-binary and just didn't know that they actually could be. But you, fo- you focus on the people who don't need it more than you focus on the people who need it. Isn't that what healthcare is about? That you focus on people in need? So if a, if a non-trans or non-non-binary patient says, why are you asking me that question? The answer could simply be, we ask all our patients that to make sure that we're caring for them to the best of our ability. Period. Period. You know, and, and it, it's like, it's like language of the bodies too. You have to ask a trans non-binary person, you know, I want to make this exam as comfortable as possible for you, but I want to use the right language. Can you share with me what language you use in your body? Now, here's a kick. Here, here's a little tip. If you have, I'll just use trans men because I'm a trans guy. If you have five trans guys that call their genitalia the same exact thing, don't assume that every single one of us says the same thing. You have to ask every single patient. I mean, and, and honestly, you should ask all your patients what language they use around their bodies because some people have trauma around their bodies and they're not trans or non binary. Exactly. So,
0: on that, that's, that same vein, when we were talking about pronouns a little bit, um, and I know that you and I have discussed this really at length, and, and what, what do you suggest for providers? Let's say, you know, I knew you before you transitioned. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. And when you transitioned, you come into my office a few months later and it's ingrained in my brain. You know, my brain cells know Tony pre-transition and yeah. perhaps Tony had a different first name and you come in and I I inadvertently misgender you.
1: Yeah. How do you handle that? Yeah. And listen, everybody, it happens and it will happen. I, tr- I, I misgendered myself two weeks ago. And I'm talking to Drew on the phone. Big story. Laugh for 10 minutes. Okay. It happens to the best of us. We used to train, apologize sincerely, and move on. But what we found over the years is when you apologize to a trans or non-binary patient or gender non conforming patient, whatever term you want to use, you're putting that patient in the position to make you feel good about what you just did when it's not about you. But if you thank them for correcting you, now your patient feels seen, heard, and empowered, right? So it would be like... Um, Say, I'm going to use Vanessa again. Vanessa, don't, I know that you like to act and I know that you go up, just stick the script here, okay? The Mm -hmm. only thing you have to say is, um, my name is Vanessa. That's it. So Vanessa used to go by Jack. I walk into the exam room. I say, good morning, Jack.
0: My name is Vanessa.
1: Thank you for correcting me, Vanessa. And say it with sincerity and smile. That's it. Now, there's a lot of shame that goes along with being misgendered. And sometimes your patients are not going to be in the emotional space to correct you. So if you do misgender someone, and you you realize it, and they don't correct you say excuse me, correct yourself and move on. I will take this on myself, Vanessa, I walk into the room. Good morning, Jack, excuse me, Vanessa, and move on. That's it. I'm telling you it works. And and also shifting energy from Oh my god, what the heck does this patient accept? I've been calling this patient, uh, Vanessa, Jack for 12 years. And now I got to call this patient, Vanessa, that's going to be hard for me. How am I going to do that? Shift that energy from need to want. I want to honor my patients. Okay. And know that you're human and mistakes will happen. But if you, if you correct yourself in the correct way, your patient will be much, much more thankful to you. And then if you don't.
0: Great advice, Tony. Thank you. Yeah. So I know that you spend a good majority of the professional and your personal life, educating people across many different spectrums, many different disciplines. You, you train nationally. Um, you've got two books, maybe a third one coming out pretty soon. Um, you train in hospitals, medical practices. I know that you do school systems, and I know that you speak at a lot of different conferences. I'd like you to talk a little bit about the trainings that you provide to the different practices, the hospitals and the schools, and what resources healthcare providers can connect with in order to deliver more competent and affirming care to trans patients and non-binary patients?
1: Well, the, yeah. So as far as resources, there's a lot of national trans organizations that you can Google that are have very, they, they're very good resources. Okay. And a lot of times I'm asked by providers, hey, I have a patient and they're looking for this or looking for that. Don't go to me first, go to your local pride centers, your local pride centers, are filled with even medical, they'll, they'll have medical resources, they'll have, you know, social resources, um, behavioral health resources, uh, pride centers are filled with information. Um, that's one. So, so the trainings I do that I provide really is creating a welcoming environment for your trans and non-binary patients, students, whoever, you know, and I, and I do do keynotes about my journey. How did I get from cutting myself every day in the woods to who I am today? You need people to see you and to believe you, you know, it takes one adult, one adult to cut a chance in LGBTQ youth will attempt suicide by 40%. Mm-hmm. One adult that says, you know what, I got you, I got you. And sometimes it's the health provider. Sometimes it's the health provider. So if you're not creating a welcoming environment for your patient, as soon as they walk into your, your office to be, to feel that they can open up to you with personal stuff saying, you know, shit, I'm a trans guy and nobody knows about it. My family doesn't know about it but I have nowhere else to turn, you're going to say, you're, you're, you're safe here. And I'm going to help you. You just save that. I, I, I guarantee you save them from a lot of years of mental unwellness. So that's what my trainings are for. And my trainings do cover, you know, gender 101, but they do have drawings from my books of the kids drawing things like what does body dysphoria feel like? And what does it feel like to be misgendered, which is in the third book? Um, because you need to see it. You know, Vanessa and I can talk when we try, we can talk all day. And, and believe me, we can talk all day. Two Italians, forget it, right? But you'll never get, you'll never get what these children are going through unless you see the pictures that they draw, knives in their bodies, stuck in cages. That's how they feel. How I can't explain that. And then their words tell you exactly what their drawing means. It's powerful stuff. And I use that in my trainings for sure. And then, then again, I'm a certified teacher of mindfulness. And I, and I go through a little bit of mindfulness communication at the ends and to my uh, trainings. So, I, and
0: I give you so much credit for the, the work that you do with these kids. It's absolutely amazing. And, and I, I'm very happy to have two signed copies of your book. <laughs> um, but so I want to just touch a little bit about the mental health crisis that we have in this country. Yeah. Um, you know that it's been incredibly difficult to find mental health on a regular basis, let alone somebody who identifies as trans, non-binary, gender, non-conforming. And it's really even more difficult to find a competent gender therapist. Do you want to talk a little bit about, do they need to see a gender therapist or can they just see anybody who is a mental health professional?
1: Yeah, they don't need to see a gender therapist because most of the time, listen, I'm now allowed back into Liberty Street Hospital and the psych hospitals in Connecticut. When I'm sitting in front of a nine-year-old that just tried to kill themselves, it's not because they're trans, it's because everybody around them is telling them they're not. OK, they don't need a gender therapist, but I also provide a training for therapists for behavioral health specialists, because a lot of behavioral health specialists wants to want to see trans and non-binary kids, The LGBTQ, the LGB, they have no problem with. But they don't feel they're culturally competent enough to sit in front of a trans and non-binary person and provide them care. You know, as long as you honor their name and pronoun and you don't hold them to their agenda when it comes to their gender journey, you're going to be fine. Because most of the time it has nothing to do with their their, their gender identity. Right? So, so be confident. I mean, I, I just did a Connecticut social worker or something training. And at the end I was like, okay, now what? Now what are you gonna do? You have the you if 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 you're gonna treat every patient with dignity and respect and honor their name and pronoun and not hold them to your agenda, then you can see a trans and non-binary patient. Now, some kids want, to, want, want their therapists and behavioral health people to, to identify as trans and non-binary. Whew, that's super hard. There are quite a few in Connecticut, but nobody has space. Everybody has a waiting list. And you know, now we see kids in psych hospital emergency rooms in the hallway on, on gurneys for, for days, for days. We need to do something about this. We need to step it up.
0: On that same note, with, with, with the, the healthcare, do you, you know, I know the, the World Professional Association for Transgender Health, World, uh, WPATH, mm-hmm. they set forth the standards worldwide for transgender healthcare. And, and again, they're, they're, they're guidelines, they're, they're not yeah. written in stone. But do you want to talk a little bit about whether or not every trans person needs to have a psychological evaluation before they start their transition journey, whether it's yeah. hormones whether they decide to have surgery. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, I, I'm on the, I, I don't believe they need it, but I know having that diagnosis is going to get them what they need, which is unfortunate. Right. Do you know what I mean? And WPATH, right, it's, it's, it's not written in stone, but a lot of, lot of organizations, a lot of um, insurances feel that it is because they don't feel like, I got a 15-year-old kid that if he doesn't have his top surgery, he's not going to live until he's 16. Parents are on board, surgeon will do it. Insurance company saying no, it's got to be eighteen. It's got to be eighteen. It's got to be eighteen. He's not going to make it to eighteen. So now we have to appeal, appeal, appeal. It's a, It's not a one size fits all. It's not a one patient. Everybody needs like I. I transitioned late in life, you know. I did I. I was in my late thirties when I started transitioning, or forties. No thirties. I shouldn't have had to go to a therapist, right? But I had to go to a therapist and get a letter if I wanted my top surgery done, right? You know. So I, I'm. I, I. I don't think everybody needs it, but I know those. Who, who need it is to access medical care that they absolutely need.
0: And how do you feel about a patient having to see a specialist in order to get their hormones? So I oh. work in primary care and I feel that hormones should be in primary care because they're no different than prescribing blood pressure medicine or diabetes yeah. medicine. But how do you feel about having to send patients to an endocrinologist just to get
1: hormones. I feel awful. You and not have had this. Con- I've had this conversation with people for years. Some trans people aren't as fortunate as I am, that I have health insurance. That's, that's covered by my employer. It is a lot of money. First of all, to go to a specialist versus a primary care physician. Number one, number two, I was told years ago by Dr. Holinsky. Do you remember Dr. Holinsky? Okay. He's like, Oh, you know, me prescribing hormones is like a dentist cleaning teeth. That's so I was like, then why are you not sending your patients to their primary care people? If that's the way it is. Now, now I always tell people, because parents are like, what do you mean? Listen, your primary care physician could take care of this. If there's a, a, um, a problem with the blood, like the levels of whatever they're checking, then you go see a specialist if they can't care for you. But definitely, definitely, we don't need to go to a specialist for hormones. Um, I, I think it's a barrier to care, to be honest with you.
0: I, I agree that it is a barrier to care. It, it, it's it's an additional copay for a lot of these patients, and you know, nationwide, there's not a lot of endocrinologists who are available to see our trans patients. So uh, we we're we you and I are on a mission to change that and get more primary yeah. care providers yeah. uh, to prescribe these hormones. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'm going to wrap it up because we're getting close to the end of our time here. But if you could leave our audience with just one thing. What would be the most important thing that you would want our audience to know about caring for transgender patients today?
1: Well, we need you and we need you to stand in front of us and believe what we're telling you. And we need you to be kind and and competent. And if somebody around you, like be a super duper ally to your, for your patients, like Vanessa is and was and always will be for me and all her patients, not just her trans patients. She's an ally for all her patients. But, you know, just remember that we really need you. And and, and when we're coming to you, we're not well most of the time. And that's going to put us in a situation where we're most vulnerable. Train your staff. Hold people accountable. If they're they're saying the wrong thing, if they're asking the wrong questions, if they're not honoring somebody's name and pronoun, hold them accountable. Have policies that they they have to abide by. Because here's the reality of it. You will have people in your practice that for religious reasons or just core value reasons, Trans and non-binary people might not be their faves. I don't judge anybody for that, but you must, you must separate your personal values from your professional values. And if you can't do that, you're going to need to find another career, in my opinion. I couldn't agree more. You know, I say this all the
0: time and you've heard me say this many, many times. We all chose to work in healthcare. Nobody forced us into working into healthcare and we're going to encounter people of all different beliefs. So we need to be accepting and affirming and give our patients the the equal respect that everybody gets across the board. Absolutely. Thank you. I wanna thank my guest, Tony Ferriolo for taking the time with me today to talk about caring for transgender patients. I hope that all of you found this podcast helpful and I thank you all for listening today. Um, Thank you for tuning in and I hope you'll join us again soon.